0: Let's pray. Lord, I pray that uh, as your servant today, Lord, you would cleanse me with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and that you would use me to be a blessing and an encouragement to all the people here. I pray that you would minister to all the needs that are present, Lord. I I don't know the people here. I don't know what they're going through, um, Lord, but I pray that you would, through the Holy Spirit, minister to them, give them what they need, and that in all things, Lord, you'd receive all the praise, the glory, and the honor. And we ask it through Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to tell you a story about Will Rogers. He was a comedian and other things. But he was known for his laughter, but he was also known for how to weep. One day he was entertaining at the Milton H. Berry Institute in Los Angeles, a hospital that specialized in rehabilitating polio victims And people with broken backs and other extreme physical handicaps. Of course, everybody had, uh, Rogers had everybody laughing, even patients in really bad conditions. But then he suddenly left the platform and went to the restroom. Milton Berry followed him to give him a towel and when he opened the door he saw Will Rogers leaning against the wall sobbing like a child. He closed the doors and in a few minutes Rogers appeared back on the platform as jovial as before. If you want to learn what a person is really like, ask three questions. What makes him laugh, what makes him angry, and what makes him weep? These are fairly good tests of character that are especially appropriate for Christian leaders. I hear people saying, we need angry leaders today, or the time has come to practice militant Christianity. Perhaps, but the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What we need today is not anger, but anguish. The kind of anguish that Moses displayed when he broke the two tablets of the law and then climbed the mountain to intercede for his people. Or that Jesus displayed when he cleansed the temple and then wept over the city. The difference between anger and anguish is that is a broken heart. It's easy to get angry. Anybody can do that, even a toddler. But it, it, especially it's easy to get angry at somebody else's sins. But it's not easy to look at our sins and weep over them. Yeah. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Well, let's go to verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights of the world holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain neither labored in vain. So this is Paul talking in the first verse he says, wherefore my beloved? That's showing his heart attitude towards these believers in the Philippian church. And he's telling them there here about working out your own salvation. This isn't works to be saved. This is works because you are saved. With fear and trembling is really the way that we need to go, people, to when we witness to them. I had a Catholic uh, friend uh, who was terrorized by this particular verse. He thought that if he didn't do any works, he couldn't be saved. And so he's constantly worried about what the next work is. What was the thing that he needed to do so he could stay saved? And he's missing what that verse is trying to tell you too. It's like, look, as a lost person that you're trying to witness, you need to go to them with love and kindness and the desire to see them get saved. And if you can't go there with love and you're going to go there with anger, frustration, bitterness, irritation, fill in one of their blank, they're not going to receive it. It's hard enough to receive the message of, guess what? You're going to hell. That'll make you friends. You know, show up your local PTA and you get your five or 15 minutes of fame on the microphone and let everybody know, by the way, uh, Jesus loves you. But if you don't love him back and ask him to save you, you're all going to go to hell and spend eternity there. And well, actually, eternity in Lake of Fire and burn and torment and all that wonderful stuff that doesn't make you friends. So one of the things here in the Pacific Northwest that, that I've noticed over the years is we tend to be a little bit more on the passive aggressive side of things. We're really nice to everybody, but we don't like, whoa, you're way too close back off. I, I like my personal bubble. Some people's are bigger than others. But if you go witness to that person, you have to win them to yourself first. You have to be found friendly. Once you're found friendly and you're showing a r- real concern for that person and a care for them, then you can witness to them. But if you could, most people in the Northwest, if you, you know, knock at the door, hey, I'd like to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to go, no, thank you. Never try. I mean, this is more for guys than girls because you know. Let's face it. A lot of times, people take it. If you're a kid or a girl, you have it easy. You hand them a track. Most people go, "Okay, I'll take it." I may not read it. I may not whatever, but I'll take it. As a guy, it's like, I don't want that. Right. Thank you. You you just took one from her. Right. Suck it up, guys. That's just the way it goes. <laughs> but nonetheless, as we continue on on the next verse in Philippians chapter two thirteen, it says, "For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His." Good pleasure. I'd like you to turn over to First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5, and we're going to look in verse 14. And it says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Have you ever thought how amazing that is that God will want to hear from you? I mean, I know I'm so old now that I have committed way more sins as a saved person than I ever committed as a lost person. And to think that God still wants to hear from me all these years later. I mean, it's one thing to listen to the five-year-old kid of me praying to God to get saved because he realized he'd messed up a lot and he needed help. It's a whole nother one when you come to him. 50 years later, and you're going, Lord, it's me again standing in the need of prayer. It's it's me again praying to you, asking you for help. Some of these things might be things that are besetting sins that I've been dealing with for decades and still come to the Lord, and he knows what he's... Come on, come talk to me. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. To think that God who created everything would listen to a prayer request that we have that in the grand scheme of things is insignificant because I don't know about you. I've had all sorts of hail Mary type prayers. Oh Lord, I see red, white, and blue lights behind me. Please let him go look for somebody else. Yes, Lord, I am guilty. I have broken the law, but I could really use some grace and mercy right now. Right? Those really important prayer requests. Oh Lord, I've done something really stupid. I promise I will never again do this if you will just get me out of trouble. Right? Those kind of... And you know what? God's humored me. There are times He's going, okay, I'll let you off. I won't let you get what you really deserve. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21. And it says, Make you perfect... In every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There are some things that you're called to do, and there are some things you're called to stay away from. Uh, I am sure uh, pastor has talked to you, he's preached to you, he's he's begged you, pleaded with you in all sorts of different ways about different things going on in your life. And one of those things are sometimes the hardest thing to do when we get saved or we're trying to get our lives right is understand that God, there are things that God wants us to do. He's calling you, please come and do these things. But there's the counterpart, which is, hey, there's some things you need to stay away from. And there's some things that you may need to stay away from that are not in and of themselves bad. It's okay for brother so-and-so to do it, but you can't do it. And that's when God's talking to you and says, for you, no. Yeah, but brother so-and-so, this isn't about brother so-and-so, it's about you. Right. It's like having two kids in the back of the car and you're doing a big, long road trip and they're breathing my air. They're, Stop touching me. Stop looking at me. It's, you know, that whole thing is he who compares himself with anybody else. The only person you should ever compare yourself is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And you go, how do I match up? I don't. Okay, end of story. Let's move on. Right? But that's not how the world looks at things today. When If you listen to most modern Christianity, when they preach, it's, oh, you're a wonderful person. Yeah, but is that what God really thinks about you? See, God's looking at what's going on in your brain. Something I can look at them on you and I can say, hey, I think they're happy. They're smiling or they're at least faking it. But God knows where you're really at. You can come into church and have all the appearances dress up nice and sing real well and say all the right words. But that doesn't mean what's really going on in the inside. But God knows what that is. And God's saying, hey, there's some things I would like you to do. Turn over to Matthew chapter 11. He says you're called from labor to rest in Matthew chapter 11. And it'll be verse 28. By the way, 28 is greater than 10 because the little marker on my page was the wrong one. I had to flip it one more. A little note to self. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. One of the things that you're called from is the fact that there's a lot of burdens you put on yourself because of sin. And God says, I want to help take those off of you. And I know a lot of people who, when they got saved, they had addictions. They had problems. And God just miraculously took them away. They were gone. Never again to be a problem. There's other ones, though, that he goes, no, this one you get to work on. This one you get to keep. Have you ever thought what you would be like if God took all of your problems away? I'll give you a hint. You'd be a spoiled brat. Just go to Walmart, go to the checkout aisle, look for the little kid having a flame out because he's looking at all the candy. That's us. Now, you may be very more mature and you may be, you know, do it in a very nice, kind, polite way, not like the toddler. But remember, we're doing it. Because you see, your walk with the Lord, you choose how to do that walk or not. Turn over to First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. In 1 John chapter 3, we're going to look in verse 14. Not only are you called uh, from labor to rest, you're called from death to life. It says, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brethren abideth in death. One of the things that should happen is once we get saved, we should be around Christian people. We should crave that fellowship. We shouldn't do things that take us away from that fellowship because let's, let's face it, being in the pack helps. Now, I'll give you a hint about your pack, though. Pick people who are better than you. Thomas Jefferson once said that the most important wisdom he could give to a young person was the people that you hang around with that are your close-knit friends, have them be people with better character than you because they will help lift you up and allow you to be a better person. But if you choose the other direction, they're going to pull you down. You may have all the best intentions in the world of, hey, I'm going to let this person be my friend and I'm going to be in tight with them and have this close little group and they're just going to drag you down. Now you should be found friendly. You should be able to witness and build a relationship with anyone. But your close circle should be all people who have better character than you are, that are better Christians than you are. So why? You can be better. Because iron sharpeneth iron. They will help you. You're gonna need them. You're gonna need that circle of support of some close friends. Uh, turn over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13. Now, you're also called bond, from bondage to liberty. In verse, uh, 13, for brethren, we have been called unto liberty, only use use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. See, we have liberty. God gives us liberty. We have the freedoms to do whatever we want. You don't have to show up in church today. You know what? You're still going to go to heaven if you're saved. By the way, you can show up to church today and be lost, and you're still going to go to hell. Going to church doesn't help. They can dunk you in water. That's not going to help. Unless you're saved. But if you are saved, you're called to liberty. But one of the things is that liberty shouldn't be used as an occasion to the flesh to sin. It also shouldn't be used in a way that causes your friend, your coworker, the person that you meet to sin either. That means I may have the liberty to do something, but I'm going to have to restrain myself so that I am not hurting another brethren. I have I have brethren uh that I work with, uh, co-workers that I work with at work that are Seventh-day Adventists. So, you know, they got to keep the law and they have all these little like you can only drive like four fifths of a mile or something like that on a Sunday. And, you know, or some of them believe however far you can go in a half a tank of gas or whatever else you want. Well, you know what? You could sit there and just attack them all the time. But you got to win them to yourselves. Yeah. Right. You need. To show, what does the Bible say about this? Because it really doesn't matter what I say. I mean, let's face it. Why do we turn to all these scriptures to make sure that what I'm saying is the truth? And if what I'm saying is not the truth, throw it out. Don't pay any attention to it. Ignore me. But if it's the truth, then we should receive it as it is. What? It's from God. That's his book. And when we talk to people, we're trying to not stumble and be a burden to them. So if I ask that Seventh-day Adventist person out to lunch because I want to be friendly with him, Guess what? I'm gonna take him somewhere that at least has vegetarian options. I'm not gonna go, hey, let's go to McDonald's. Right. Oh, what can you have? Oh, I can have a hamburger, but subtract the meat. Cause I'm not even sure they can have the fries, cause at least at one point in time they had like beef juice in the fries, so, you know, that kind of a thing. Why? Cause I'm trying to, I'm trying to reach that person. And if I want to reach that person, I have to be found friendly, I have to be considerate, and I can't use my liberty. Cause let's face it, a lot of Seventh-day Adventists, they could have been Baptist before, and they just didn't learn enough doctrine. So somebody who's really kind and nice to them from the Seventh-day Adventist Church invited them over. They had a good fellowship there, and they said, hey, I'll just keep going here. Yeah. Right. They do that as Jehovah's Witnesses. Right. They do that to the Mormons. Yeah. They do that to fill in the blank. Yeah. That's why it's important that, hey, we may be right. Here's the one I really hate. It wasn't Pastor Stewart, but somebody else preached the message one time and said, you know what? You may be right, but did God tell you to talk to that person about that? You may know the Bible, you may know the exact chapter and verse of a verse that they need to have, but did God tell you to tell them? You may not be the right person to bring the message to them. I know, because I did after I got into a Bible-believing church um, back in the late 90s, and I learned a few things. I decided I was going to help my parents and other people know that they were using the wrong Bible and all sorts of other things. And I learned, you know, you can do something without any grace and love. Right. I was right. That's all that mattered. Hey, I'm right. I agree with God. What could possibly be wrong with that? You'll burn a lot of bridges that way. Why? Because I didn't do out of love. What did they need? They needed somebody with love to go tell them. But let's continue on. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter in chapter 2 we're going to look in verse 9. We're also called out of darkness into light. It says not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. Be a blessing so you can inherit a blessing. Over in 1 uh, Corinthians 7:15 it says we're called from bondage to peace. In 1 Corinthians 1, 9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All these things are things that we were called unto. So let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Oh, by the way, sorry. Should have told you to keep your place there. Just, if you have a bookmark, you know, one of these things, stick it in Philippians, oops, one of these. Put it in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be camp- going back there. So that's Philippians chapter 2. And, uh, we need to understand when we look at these things, uh starting in verse 13, it says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. There is a purpose for you on this earth. God's got something for you to do. God got, has something for you to witness. God has somebody for you to pray for. God has somebody for you to be an encouragement to. Because let's face it, everybody that comes in here, if we, if we were just to sit down one-on-one and talk, I could come up with a whole bunch of prayer requests that I bet you weren't mentioned on your midweek service or your prayer service. Right? We need people praying for each other. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul goes straight to Medlin here. He says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. What kind of things? All things. I don't know about you, but besides murmuring, disputing, if I do plumbing... I have a tendency to hurt myself, and then all those bad words I learned in the Navy have a tendency to come back, right? Why? That's just human nature. And controlling the tongue is a very difficult thing. It's a little member, the Bible tells us, but it wags the whole body. And so we have to be understand that one of the things that we can do as a Christian is, hey, don't murmur, don't dispute, and you know what? You're going to look and act a lot different than everybody else around you. People are going to notice something about you is different if you do that. Let's turn over, or I'll give you the Webster's 1828 definition of murmuring. Don't want anybody confused on, you know, things. Uttering complaints in a low voice or sullen manner, grumbling or complaining. If you do not know what this is, I suggest some service, go sit in with the toddlers. (laughs) And you will learn all about murmuring and complaining and disputing. Because the disputing comes in, it's my toy, I looked at it first. (laughs) Or I had it first. I may have put down, but I'm not done with it yet. I didn't really want it, but now that you wanted it, I wanted it. Kind of thing, right? And the murmuring, because, you know, you never see a kid do anything like... You know? And then depending, you know, and they have to talk quiet. Why? Because mom might hear them. And let's face it, moms have really good ears. You know, so you have to be careful. (laughs) Grumble, 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 you know. We as adults, we are well more practiced at how to do it. You can go down south and you can do things like, well, just bless your little heart. And you can say it with a smile. What are you doing? You're murmuring, complaining, disputing the things that Paul says that we're not supposed to do. Turn over to Numbers chapter 14. We're going to look at a Bible illustration of of this. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, and we're going to start in verse 26. And this is uh, dealing with Moses and Aaron. And it starts off as, and the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation? which murmur against me. I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me, saying to them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Wow. Praise God, we live under grace. Amen. Could you imagine what it's like if God actually took everything out of your ears and gave you exactly what you deserve? I praise God for the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that I don't get everything I deserve. Because the sad thing is, I don't even know everything that I deserve. But the things I'm pretty sure I think I know, I don't want either. Let alone all the other stuff. Oh, I, I forgot I did that. Oh, I did that too. Oh, I did that too. Could you imagine what it's like if God gave you exactly what you deserved? But see, that's the thing about our God. He is so holy and so perfect that all the people that are lost, when they go to hell, they're going to get exactly what they deserve. That's a scary thing. That's a scary thing. But God pays attention to the murmurs and disputings that are in my head, not just the ones that come out my mouth. See, one of the ways that we need to work on things is, how do we do with the things we think up here Not just out here. Now, by all means, please, if you can stop these and control this, you're doing fabulous. The next step is after that is work on the one up here. Where those murmurings and disputings are ones that other people don't see. You know, that's your, you know, bless your little heart. That's in your brain still, not coming out your mouth. Imagine for all those people that were in the wilderness They'd come out of Egypt. They'd gone through all the stuff. They'd seen the miracles of God. And then they murmur. And God goes, guess what? You're going to spend the rest of your life in the wilderness doing circles in the sand. Oh, we've been here before. I mean, I can just, this is just me. Maybe it's because I'm a Norwegian, whatever. I can just imagine, hey, we've been down this path before. Hey, that's rock. Okay. This is the fourth time through here. I'm going to scrape it on this rock next time around. Oh, this is the fifth time down this way. You know, something along those lines. But understand that sometimes there's far-reaching impact from the choices we make with murmurings and disputings, and they can be lifelong. There's no guarantee that just we we plead the blood over whatever, and God goes, okay, I heard your prayer. But the repercussions of your actions, you're going to deal with for the rest of your life. Because it's very easy to say to plead the blood. I had a, a person I became acquainted to when I joined the military who was supposed to come with me to boot camp, lived up in Adna, Washington. He was driving home one night after working at Denny's. He worked at the late shift, and uh, he had a little Honda Accord. And he was driving down the road. There was this big corner, and he came around the corner, and there's was a guy in a four-wheel drive truck who was drunk. He was not driving on his lane. He was driving on my, this acquaintance of mine's lane at about 55 miles an hour his 4 by 4 truck went, went over and took off the top of the Honda. He died instantly. The week later, he was supposed to be going to boot camp with me. Now think about that person that was driving that truck. No matter what he does, that's going to be with him the rest of his life. Just one stupid decision. And he goes, God, please take from me. God's like, "I can. yes, I can deal with the sin side of things. Yes, I can deal with all of this. But this, sometimes these things you need to keep because you need to learn from them. You need to remember them. And remember, hey, I was this. Because we're not to glory in all the sins and all the other stuff. Because a lot of times Christians get hung up with some person that can tell you, I was this horrible, wicked person. I did drugs. I did satanic this. I did whatever. And they, wow, look at all that stuff. And God saved them from that. How wonderful. No, it's just wonderful somebody got saved. Because if you're glorying in all that stuff, that's all flesh. What matters is God saved him, then what? That's the stuff to glory on. Yeah, he was all that, but now look at what happened. Hey, maybe it's like uh, Brother Bonner, who was a, a, was he shortstop? Cal Ripken. Cal Rip, Cal he was the guy keeping Cal Ripken down in the minor leagues. And he gave it all up to become a missionary and go to Africa. And he went there, and guess what? His heart gave out. Whatever glory he had in baseball and that whole world before, do you think that means anything to him? He's like, no, it's all the stuff afterwards. It's going and reaching people and seeing people get saved, seeing people's lives that get changed. Back in Philippians chapter 2, when we're going to look at uh, verse 15, as if verse 14 wasn't enough, you're not supposed to do things, you're supposed to do things without murmuring disputings. Then in verse 15, it says that she may be what? And what? The sons of God. Without what? In the midst of what kind of a nation? Wow, isn't that where we live at right now? How many people do you see being lifted up in the news media that are blameless, that are harmless, that are without rebuke? I mean, look in the state of Texas. They're trying to get rid of their attorney general. I didn't read the, I just saw the headline in the news. I didn't read the whole thing to see if it's justified or not. Probably is. But without rebuke. Have you thought about what that means to be without rebuke? You have to really be careful of the things that you say and the things that you do. So the lost world can't rebuke you. Uh, One of the pastors I used to say is used to always tell me was, or used to always preach from the thing was talking about, hey, when people have some negative comment about you, the first question, is it true? And if it's true, knock it off. Stop doing it. Yeah. Fix up whatever that is. It shouldn't be the lost people that have to show you what you're doing wrong. Now I'll tell you this. There's worse than having a lost people tell you what to, that you're doing wrong. It's when a same person you don't like, that you like nothing about that person, and God goes, I'm going to send that person to come convict you of your own sin. Lord, I will hear this... Thing from anybody. I just don't want to hear it from brother or sister so-and-so. That's who God uses. Why? Where's your heart? What's going on with your heart? Blameless. That means without fault. Innocent. Guiltless. Not meriting censure. Harmless. Not hurtful or injurious. Because let's face it, you may not kill anybody, but have you killed anybody's character? Have you attacked their character? Innocent. Not guilty. Rebuke. I mean, there's there's six definitions in the eighteen twenty eight dictionary for that. I mean, it's a big long thing. It's not it's not like having to write down the definition of is, like twenty-five times I had to do in the fourth grade for getting into trouble. But you know, there's still a whole bunch of them there. Theodore Roosevelt, when he was a rancher and one of his, uh, while he's ranching, this is back in the Dakotas and the Black Hills, and one of his cowpunchers lassoed a Maverick steer, lit a fire, and prepared the, the branding iron. Part of the range they, they were on was claimed by Gregor Lang, one of Roosevelt's neighbors. According to the cattleman's rule, the steer therefore belonged to Lang. As the cowboy applied the brand, Roosevelt said, wait, it should be Lang's brand. That's alright, boss, said the cowboy. But you're putting on my brand, Roosevelt said. That's right, said the man. Drop that iron and get back to the ranch and get out. I don't need you anymore. A man who will steal from me or will steal for me will steal from me. And that's what we're doing to God. Have you ever thought about the people that have talents and capabilities that God gives them a beautiful voice? What do you use it for? You're saved and you go to heaven and you find out, yes, you had all the fame in the world. You went all over the world. Everybody adored you and thought you were wonderful. And God gives, that's not what I gave you that talent for. I gave it to you to glorify me. But think about what are the talents you have? Are you using them for the Lord? Are you using them for yourself? Are you, you know, what are you using them for? In 1991, there was a story of a high school values clarification class conducted by a teacher in Teaneck, New Jersey. A girl in the class had found a purse containing $1,000 and returned it to its owner. The teacher asked for the class reactions, and every single one of their fellow students concluded the girl had been foolish. Most of the students contended that if someone is careless, that they should be punished. When the teacher was asked what he said to the students, he responded, well, of course, I didn't say anything. If I come from the position of what is right and what is wrong, then I'm not their counselor. I can't impose my views. No wonder that J. Allen Smith, considered a father of many modern education reforms, concluded in the end, the trouble with us reformers is that we've made reform a crusade against all standards. Well, we've smashed them all, and now neither we nor everybody else has anything left. Isn't that the state of our schools? I went to high school in the 1980s. Uh, in Centralia, Washington, they had a classroom with dedicated people that were paid for by the school to watch all the babies. That was in the 80s. Can you imagine what it's like in 2023 in that same high school? Uh, when I went to high school, we had two girls in my class that did not finish one of them. No, neither of them finished high school. Both of them were pregnant out of wedlock. Neither of them, to my knowledge, are still married to that person. See, things can sometimes get really tough when we start looking at them and we start thinking about the choices people make and the fact that you, by your actions, can confirm or reaffirm what's right. You know what the hard thing to do is? Do the right thing. Be blameless. Be harmless and just let the Lord deal with it all. I'll give you a little thing the Lord taught me. Well, he taught me, but it took way too long for me to get, was that, you know, if God wanted me to get a pay raise, it doesn't matter whether I ticked off every single person in the company that I work for or not, I'll get a raise. And somebody told me that, and I was like, wow, that's so true it hurts. And then I realized, yeah, but if I'm saved and I'm trying to Work around these people and I say I'm a Christian Then there should be a difference between me and everybody else I should be a better worker I should have a better attitude. I should be helpful. I should be forgiving I shouldn't take all the flack and everything else that I get from everybody and act like everybody else That's a hard thing to do We live in a perverse nation if you don't think so pay attention to the news the sisters of the perpetual indulgence were invited by the Los Angeles Dodgers to Pride Night. And then they caused a whole big stink because two of their members went into a Catholic church during the middle of the mass and made a mockery of the whole thing. Now, they've did all sorts of other things. And I don't even look at the pictures. Don't do any of that stuff. I'm just trying to help you understand how wicked they are. So the Catholic church got upset about this whole thing, complained to the Dodgers. The Dodgers said, "Yep, okay, we're not going to invite them." Then they got flack from the LGBTQ plus variety of people, and they decided we'll reinvite them back. But what is it that they stand for? They stand for mocking God, mocking Jesus Christ, mocking anything that's true, mocking anything that's holy. And yet you're going to promote them and bring them in and say, we believe, we 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 think the values of these people are so great that we want to celebrate them and let them be part of this event. What values are you talking about? Right. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it was necessary to only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart. Because that's the really hard thing to understand with Christians is anything a lost person do, so can you. Anything. Why? You still got the same heart. You still have the same lost flesh. You haven't got the new body yet. So whatever a lost person can think up and do puts you in the right circumstances Lord have mercy that you won't do the same thing they do. And it shouldn't be that way. Turn back to Philippians. Then it says in verse uh sorry, verse 15, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Well, we all know that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He's called the son of the uh, son of righteousness, capital S. So when we understand that light, that he is the light, what are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be like the moon. We're supposed to reflect his light because we don't have any light of our own. Any, any good thing that's in me, it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any bad thing in me, that's, that's me. I own it. It's mine. But we're supposed to reflect that light out. And this verse says uh, very specifically in here, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So as this world gets more crooked, and more perverse, just you be trying to be a Christian should get brighter and brighter because it's more dark out. Now, anybody here in, been to eastern Washington, Oregon, or the Midwest and looked up and seen the number of stars that are out there? It's wholly different than when you're out here and you look up. Well, we have clouds too. I mean, when when the clouds aren't in the way. Why? Because there's not as much light around. And so those stars pop. You can, it's like they're endless. Well, that's the same thing that happens as it gets darker and darker in this world. If you just stand for the Lord, you don't have to do any You don't have to go out and stop in a Stein quarter and yell and scream at some person in order to be the light of the world. In fact, if you're doing that, you're not being the light of the world. I'm not saying don't preach to him on the corner, but if your only purpose is to go out there for self-gratification that you can be angry and supposedly sin, not you're there for the wrong reason. I know Martin Luther said he preached best when he was angry. But we're trying to reach people, and you need to tell them what the truth is, not out of anger and hatred, but out of the fact that you don't want them to go someplace. And that light is very important. In Matthew chapter 5.14, it says, Ye are the light of the world. The Lord's not here anymore. The Lord's not walking around. So the closest thing that they're ever going to see to Lord Jesus Christ in a physical manifestation right now is you if you're saved. And if you're not letting that light out, who is? I mean, let's just face it. I don't care whether you pay attention to Fox News, ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC, CNN, or fill in whatever alphabetical letters you want for a radio station, TV, whatever. You think they're going to get any light from there? I mean, in the old days, you could watch a movie and there'd be like little hints and references to God and, and you know, some things like that. But hey, we're way past that. You are the light of the world. Because let's face it, I live an hour and a half away from here. I can't reach all the people in Ridgefield and the surrounding areas that you live in. I don't work with the people that you work with. But you can. You need to be the light of the world to them. You need to show them there's another way. There's a better way to live the life. Because if you don't believe it and you don't act it, why are they going to believe it? Because let's face it, if you fake it, they're going to know. There's a whole difference between a real Christian and a fake one. And the world's seen way too many fake ones. So let's just be real. And that means, that means being honest. Hey, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just one beggar showing another beggar where the food is. There's nothing better about me. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Or actually, let's go go back to Philippians, sorry. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, Holding forth the word of life. Right here. What are you supposed to hold forth? Is it whatever things that I think of in my brain to help you live a better life? Is it lessons that I have learned from living my life? No, you're supposed to hold forth the word of life. This is what needs to be put forth. Then it goes on to say, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. You have a pastor here that loves you. And one of the things that's going to happen is at the judgment seat of Christ, God's going to say, okay, Pastor Stewart, it's time for us to have a little talk about your church. And he's going to say, Why? Because he's the steward of the church. How are you doing? Is God going to go, hey, you know what? Uh, You did a good work in that church. I'm going to give you, you know, A minus. I don't have no idea, right? But you understand that part of what goes on that he's going to get judged for is you. What is he doing to help you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to help you? Look, A pastor's job isn't just getting up and you're preaching. This is the easy part. That's why I'm here doing it. You know what the hard part is? It's the middle of the night when you call him and you're crying so hard that it's hard for him to understand what you're saying. And you're saying, Pastor, could you come to the hospital? Could you come to our house? Because we need you right now. We need you to give us the words of life. Well, just as he does it for all of you out of love and concern for you, the thing is you should be able to take that It should change you and make you want to do the same thing to somebody else. There should be times in your life where somebody, when they're going through something difficult, they go, hey, I know somebody who's a Christian. I know they kind of care for me. I'm going to get a hold of them. Can you show up in the hospital and just be with me? Because there are people that are right now in nursing homes and are in hospitals that there are no family members that are going to go see them. That's a terrible place to be, hurting You're lost. You've got no God to give you assurance or comfort. You're just like, I hope he's listening. You need somebody to be able to show up. Now, I'm not saying you all should be good just so pastor gets a good grade in heaven. Now, I'm not saying that's bad either. But I want you to understand, even as a man, as a pastor, he's trying to do his best for you. And he's going to make mistakes because none of us are perfect. And it's very hard sometimes when you get a rebuking message to go, yay, Lord, that's me. I'm standing in the name of prayer. I'm the one that needs to come up to the altar and say, Lord, please help me with whatever. One of the greatest testimonies I got from this was in uh, Treasure Valley Baptist Church. And a certain associate pastor there that I know both of them know, so I won't mention his name, but they'll know who he is by the story I tell you. Um, the pastor was preaching... About this all these sexual sins and all these things, and pa- and God came up to this associate pastor and said, "You know, you and I have got something to deal with. I want you to go up to the altar and get right about this one thing." And he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait God. if I come up to the altar, everybody else is going to think it's about this i can I, I can't do that. I'm the associate pastor." So the pastor kept preaching, and the Holy Spirit kept coming back and going, brother, sister, there's something that I'm dealing with you here. I want you to deal with it right now. I don't want you to put it off. Are you to do what's right? And he eventually became a decision, it's more important to do what God wants me to do than it is to worry about everybody else here. So let them think whatever they want. When somebody comes up here, none of us know what's really going on in their heart. We don't know what God's been talking to them. We don't know how that Holy Spirit's been working on them. We have no idea. And the reality is, if we're true Christians, we should just be thankful that the Holy Spirit is working in their heart enough that they wanted to come up and do something with the Lord. That's the only thing that really matters. And so eventually he said, okay, Lord, I'll go. Would you be willing to do the same? Are you enough of a Christian that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you? Maybe not even today. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was weeks ago that you go, whatever you want, Lord. See, it's easy to sit in the pew when the Holy Spirit talks to you and just, you know, get grab a grip. I'm not leaving this. If there's a tornado that comes through, the tornado is taking me and this with it. Right? But there are times as an individual, we have to come up the altar and tell the Lord, you know what? I've been doing something wrong. I haven't been listening to you. Maybe it's Lord, you know what? I need to rededicate my life to you and understand that time is short and I want to help see some sinners saved. Lord, I made a mess out of my life, but can you help me? Blah. Or Lord, you know, I've been going down this wrong path. Lord, could you help me get back on the right one? I'll give you a real good hint. If you get off the path, go back to the last good spot you were at in your Christian walk. Sir. Yeah, you know what? That's humbling. Because let's just face it. Some of you teens out there, you're probably going to walk away from the Lord. And you know what's going to go get it back? You're going to get miserable. And then you're going to go, you know what I should do is I should go back to that church and go back to that preacher and go back to that pastor or that teacher and get back in church and do the right things. And you're going to go, you know what? Because of my pride, I will not go. Because if I go back, all those people know what I've done with my life. And you know what the saddest thing about that is? These are the people that probably care about you the most. And by the way, you don't have to be a teenager. You can be 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, and it's still the same thing from you. You know, maybe I got mad because of a brother or sister so-and-so. Get back to that last place that you were on the path and do right. Why? You know what? Everybody here, I guarantee you, if one of the lost prodigals out there came back and tried to get their life right, the majority of you, if not all of you, would be thankful to God and would praise God for seeing somebody come back and seeing somebody trying to do what's right. Because let's face it, the entire world is against them doing that. Their pride and everything in with the flesh and the devil saying, don't. But just understand, if you want that prodigal to come back and to do right, then don't apply a standard to them that you're not willing to do yourself. We just read about a whole bunch of different things. What about you, Christian? Has the Holy Spirit been talking to you about some things you need to get right, some place that you need to get back to when you were doing the best? Then if so, I would encourage you to come to the altar and get it right with the Lord. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what the other people are here. If there are any Christian at all, they're going to be praying for you when they see you walk up here. Why? Because they know you're trying to do business with the Lord. It's not a show. It's not like you're coming up here and it's like, hey, look at me. Hey, everybody, notice me? I'm I. No, because you've got to put your everything about yourself down to come up here and go, Lord, I need to get right with you, and it doesn't matter. what, the, Even if every person here starts jeering and everything else, I still need to come up here because it's what you told me to do. Because what the Lord wants you to do is way more important. It doesn't matter what I want you to do. Because I'm going to tell you wrong. I mean, I'm going to try to tell you right. Really, pastor's going to try to tell you right. But the reality is, God speaks to each individual here, and you need to do what's right for you. And if you haven't done business with the Lord in a long time, I want to encourage you today to go, you know what, Lord? I'm sorry. Let's just start where it needs to start with, I'm sorry. I have not let you be the center of my life. Lord, I'm sorry that I have not followed the path that you wanted me to go. I'm sorry that I have not been the Christian witness that you wanted to be. But you know what? Today, I want to, Lord, please, today, I want you to help me to start working on those things. Today can be the day where you change from just the status quo of just being the nominal you, or the good you, whatever the case may be, and being a better you. To be the one when the Lord comes back, he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't know of any words that would be more desired to hear than hear the Lord Jesus Christ look you in the eye and tell you, hey, I know everything about your life. I know all the difficulties you went through. I know the hatred, the bitterness, and all the other stuff. Well done but in order to get well done we got to get on our knees before the lord and i want to encourage you to do that today so let's bow our heads in prayer and if the lord spoke to you today about something i want you to come up here and get right with the lord it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing let's not look around it's not about looking at other people This is about asking the Lord to do something with you because you know what God wants in your life. So as they play, I pray that God will have his will in your heart.